0: This is Making Stitches and this time knitting and crochet designer Lynn Rowe from The Wool Nest shares her thoughts on the healing benefits of craft.
1: Knitting and crochet can just maybe help you to just gather your strength almost, I think. It's almost a way to think, right, I'll just reset my batteries a little bit and then I'll be, you know, or recharge my batteries and then I'll be ready to, to tackle that thing that I don't really want to do, but, you know, I'm going to have to do it anyway. So if you can just find 15, 20 minutes a day, I think is a good little aim um, to just find something somewhere quiet and a nice, simple project.
0: Another benefit of crafting is being able to make an income from it, so long as no one else is passing off your work as their own.
1: I started to sell uh, patterns on eBay, just um, the money went to charity. It was just really just a bit of fun, really, when when I'd had my third child and I was knitting a bit more and I made these little tea cosies. And it was a funny story because a lady contacted me and said, oh, um, how did you make this particular tea cosy so I told her in an email how I'd made it because she said she wanted to make one she didn't want to buy the one I'd made she wanted to make one herself and then about three or four months later I was in um, a a shop and I saw a new brand new magazine I think it was issue two and on the front was this tea cosy I thought oh how bizarre that is just exactly the same as that tea coasters that I was making and selling. So I bought the magazine and it was the same lady <laughs> because obviously the put your name and everything and I checked the email and I thought, wow, wow. And then I realized at that point, I kind of had a light bulb moment that actually, this this is potentially a, an income stream because if you can write patterns and, you know, design things and write up patterns,
0: then you can sell them wow that's a bit of a shocker isn't it well to hear more about tea cozy gate stay tuned to listen to the full story coming up very soon Welcome to Making Stitches podcast. I'm Lindsay and it's a real treat for me to be able to share another inspiring maker story with you. If this is your first time listening to Making Stitches, it's a pleasure to have your company. And if you enjoy listening, do please go back and take a look at the back catalogue of episodes from the last two years Yes, that's right, two years! Making Stitches has celebrated its second birthday since I last spoke to you. Thank you to everyone who has listened and supported me along the way this far. Now, back to Lynn Rowe. Lynn is an accomplished knitting and crochet designer with a number of books under her belt. Lynn also works with knit and crochet magazines, designing and tech editing, and runs workshops for beginners to both crafts and to help crochet and knitting designers progress their own careers. I spoke to Lynn a few weeks ago so here's our chat now. First of all Lynn thank you very much for agreeing to come on Making Stitches it's lovely to chat with you this morning uh, after following your work in so many different places over the years. Yeah it's been quite a long long
1: journey really you know from From where I started out to where I am now, it's all looking quite different. Um, But, you know, it's just been so much fun and enjoyment along the way. And, you know to start from designing and then I got into tech editing and then teaching and um, book, writing books, editing books, uh, you know, and now I kind of still do all of those things, but obviously on much of a lesser scale. Um, And now I'm also a knitting editor for you know magazine as well two days a week so that's incredible as well so it's just been this huge journey of learning and sharing and and everything it's fantastic yeah I'm really happy
0: oh wonderful can I take you back to the beginning then to, to when crochet and knitting came into your life were you a child when you first started Yes, I was. Um, I think uh, I've tried to kind of go back it's quite a long time,
1: <laughs> quite a long time since I was a child. But um, yeah, my nana used to just always have a knitting or crochet project on the side or in her hands. And, you know, I, she just used to knit so quickly. It was amazing. I'd sit and watch and think, wow, she's even asleep and she's knitting. But I can understand now that she wasn't actually asleep. She was just probably resting her eyes a little bit. Because I think once you get quite proficient at knitting, you can. And do all the things while she knitting. So that's obviously what she was doing. But as a child, I used to think, "Oh, she's can sleep and knit at the same time. How wonderful!" But she was always knitting and always crocheting. Uh, and my mum has lots of stories from when she was a little girl. And you know, she'd come home from school, and there'd be a, a, a new item to be worn, or somebody was having a baby, so there'd be either a maternity jacket ready or a baby item. So she was very fast. Um, yeah and she obviously really enjoyed being creative so I have lots of nice memories of going to the workshop shop with her and you know looking at all the lovely colours and thinking wow isn't this amazing like a sweet shop, really but um, it was the time when most yarns were still sold by, like, on a hank rather than balls. So it was, you know, quite a while ago. But, yeah, it was so, so lovely, such nice memories, really. So that's where it kind of all began. And then, like most children, I think I got one of those little learn-to-knit kits or it might have even been weaving, I can't remember whether it was knitting or like a little weaving loom, I made a little skirt for Barbie and you know, it just grew on from there, you go to brownies and you do things with yarn and make stuff and yeah, I've always been very creative really not just with knitting and crochet but with anything anything I could get my hands on, I just loved making
0: stuff so yeah, that, that's where it began really Wonderful well do you know it's funny I think we're so lucky to have been born at a time when lots of lots of grandmas and mums were able to pass these skills down because you, you hear nowadays that quite often you know some people can't sew a button on a shirt or whatever it's as if you know a lot of in a lot of households there isn't that that just basic creativity but to have been able to be brought up in a in a family where there's craft all around you it can't help but kind of spark your own creativity
1: as a child too yeah absolutely and I think you're, you're spot on there because when I've been teaching um over the sort of past 10 years there's almost like a gap where you know like you say we had our grandmas and our parents to teach us because it was a necessity for them you know knitting and crochet wasn't really seen as a hobby because you couldn't just buy cheap Clothing—you couldn't go to the, you know, the shops, and there'd be things for a couple of pounds. Like now, you can buy things so cheaply, you wonder how they how they make them for the price. But in in years gone by, they didn't have that luxury, really, that we have to to compare prices and buy stuff cheap. So they had to make their own things, didn't they? So there's, the the crafts were almost essential to them. Whereas I think now it's just become more of a hobby. So that I always feel like there's a little gap of like maybe a couple of generations where a lot of the younger people now maybe that are in their 20s or 30s, their parents perhaps aren't as crafty, although they are learning now, but they didn't have that handed down to them as children. So it's been quite nice to teach people who don't have that... Um, you know if they don't have the skills being passed on to them by a family or a friend then they can go to classes now and and learn that way instead and you know absorb all of that knowledge and history and and everything and then get addicted to knitting and crochet
0: <laughs> <laughs> that must feel like such a privilege though to be able to open this wonderful world of creativity to, to people
1: yeah, and also I think that some of the things that really I really like about teaching is that um, when I've had classes and people have come and mainly they are ladies I don't think I've ever had a male in my class actually so usually the ladies that have come along for whatever reason maybe they've lost their way a little bit lost the confidence and so they the first thing they usually say is well I'll never be able to do it so you know it's quite negative at first but then slowly you know as the weeks go on and they practice and they repeat their stitches over and over again they're just so amazed at what they're able to achieve and it just builds that confidence and that feeling of, you know, I can actually do things, I am worthwhile and I can do this and the confidence builds and then by the end of the course, they're coming in with all sorts of amazing things that they're making and they're so happy. You know, you can see that change that it makes them feel so happy and uh, proud of themselves really so that's the thing that I like most I think about knitting and crochet it's you know it's not what you're making almost Um, it's the process and how it makes you feel and you know the things that you can get from your knitting or crochet it almost doesn't matter what you're making as long as you are you know making something that you like and that makes you feel happy.
0: Absolutely. So often when I've spoken to people, they've talked about the positives um, of, of their craft of being for mental health and just just the general, you know, happiness and contentment and relaxation they get from whatever their craft is, because generally it involves some kind of habitual hand movements and sort of rhythm that kind of gets you into a bit of a trance as you're doing it. And your worries kind of float away quite often when you're doing it, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's a good way to kind of just switch off from things just for, you know, even if it's just for 20 minutes a day, if you can just find, you know, 15 or 20 minutes every day and just find a quiet place that you can just sit and pick up something really simple and just... Stitch away, you know, and you like you say, the focus and the relaxation. It kind of almost gives you a chance to just gather yourself together, um, ready, you know, to tackle the next things. So, you know, if you've got a lot going on, and you know, especially at the moment, you know, we've had lots of things to cause us extra anxiety and worry about everything, uh, and and our, you know, other people and. It it can kind of, you know, almost be quite, um, it overtakes everything, doesn't it? And Mm. you feel, you know, you can find that you're not sleeping very well. Perhaps knitting and crochet can just maybe help you to, just gather your strength almost I think it's almost a way to think right I'll just reset my batteries a little bit and then I'll be you know or recharge my batteries and then I'll be ready to to tackle that thing that I don't really want to do but you know I'm gonna have to do it anyway. so if you can just find 15-20 minutes a day, I think is a good little aim um, to just find something somewhere quiet and a
0: nice simple project absolutely I, I completely agree with you on that um now you've spoken about in in your young childhood being exposed to these crafts uh, at what point did it go from being something that you were learning and enjoying as a hobby to becoming your life basically
1: yeah i mean it has has become my life it's uh i, I work full time doing this you know all the different things that we talked about um but prior to that, um, you know, I've had quite a few different careers over time for various reasons. You know, um, I kind of lost my way in life at one point, and then had to, you know, work, things weren't great. And I think when you have bad times or hard times and hardship, it it you know you you realize how strong you are sometimes because you have to be. Um, And it kind of almost forces you to think, right, I have to do something now. I have to sort this out and find a career, find a job. So I kind of went eventually into, um, I got a job where then I retrained, started to learn and do my uh, A-levels and I ended up doing a degree actually. From that Worked for about 20 years at the Environment Agency. So that was kind of where I thought I would stay um, forever, really. But then, you know, things change. I had children. Well, I had more children. I um, already had one child, so I had two more children. And then I eventually worked part-time there and then eventually started to knit and crochet again after a very long time i hadn't knitted or crocheted for many years mainly because i couldn't afford it to be honest it just wasn't on the radar that i could you know buy the materials and the yarn that you need because you know i know you can get things cheaply but if you don't have anything even the cheapest things can be sort of out of your reach, really. So just eventually, just thought, oh, you know, I found some knitting needles in a bag and I thought, hmm, I could get some yarn. And I did, I went on eBay, bought some somebody else's stash. And I just started making little blankets and things like that. And then eventually, you know, you, you kind of do it more and more and more. And then I started to sell... Uh, patterns on eBay just um, the money went to charity it was just really just a bit of fun really when my, when I'd had my third child and I was knitting a bit more and I made these little tea cosies and it was a funny story because a lady contacted me and said oh um, how did you make this particular tea cosy so I told her in an email how I'd made it because she said she wanted to make one she didn't want to buy the one I'd made, she wanted to make one herself. And then about three or four months later, I was in um, a, a shop and I saw a new, brand new magazine, I think it was issue two, and on the front was this tea cosy. I thought, oh, how bizarre, that is just exactly the same as that tea cosy that I were making and selling. So I bought the magazine and... It was the same lady, (laughs) because obviously they print your name and everything. And I checked the email and I thought, wow, wow. And then I realised at that point I kind of had a light bulb moment that actually this this is potentially an income stream because if you can write patterns and you know design things and write up the patterns, then you can sell them. I did contact the magazine editor and she very kindly then asked me if I had a pattern, you know, she apologised because they obviously weren't aware at all of the situation. And that's how I got my first magazine publication because she said, do you have anything else? And it so happened that I did have something else. I had a little knitted cake. So I said, what about this? And she said, yes. And then she passed my name on to someone else, you know, and it just Mm. kind of went from there. So I think... If you are designing, sometimes the hardest thing is to get that first, you know, uh, pattern published. And then once you've got your foot in the door almost, it does become a little bit easier. But that's how it be- then became more of a, a you know, a, something that I realised it could make a career of. And I just really enjoyed it and I just started designing these sort of little quick projects. That's what I kind of did at the beginning, like fun, sort of almost whimsical things. Um, And then I think the next thing that I did was for Knit Today magazine, they always had like six quick projects in the centre of the magazine and they started asking me to do those, which is quite a lot of work actually every month to come up with, you know, Mm -hmm. six little projects and you know design them and light them up and everything so it just kind of went on from there and then and then I realized well actually I think I could do this full time and so I'd already cut my hours down quite a lot at work and it was quite a lot of traveling and you know how when you've got children things are not as easy as they perhaps used to be to kind of travel around the country and everything so yeah handed in my notice and
0: worked from home ever since i've never looked back actually yeah it was a good decision that's amazing i can't imagine what must have gone through your mind though when you walked in and saw that magazine on the shelf with with your (laughs) tea cozy on blimey and then to have the you know the the foresight to actually contact and draw their attention to the fact that uh, maybe somebody else had got the credit for for your design
1: yeah, and I think with with where I worked as well, I was quite aware of copyright law and that kind of thing because you know we you're not not allowed to cope fo- photocopy things without the license permission, and you know we worked a lot with OS maps, and so I knew that we had a license so that we were allowed to photocopy them for our purposes. So I kind of had that in my head and thinking, well, that's that's not you know that's my. Intellectual property that's my pattern, actually. So, you can't do that. So, I was actually really angry, and that's what spurred me on then to to make contact and kind of very politely point out, you know, what had happened and everything. So, I, I'm grateful in a way that that did happen because I think if that hadn't happened, maybe I would never have gone down that road. Who
0: knows? Absolutely, you might still just be doing a little. Charity designs on the uh, on yeah. eBay for all you know. Like, it was clearly meant to be that you walked into that shop that day and looked in that direction without a doubt.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do think that you know I'm quite quite glad in a way that it did happen. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned then that you were working for magazines. You've you've also written several books as well you know hats you've got your your amazing fairy tale blankets and your once upon a time in crochet and then uh knitting knit, to be calm is it knit yourself yes calm. knit that's yourself it. calm yes <laughs> so that's quite a quite a back catalogue where do you get your inspiration from for all your projects well with some of the books the contact was
1: that the somebody contacted me and asked very specifically, "Would you like to do this book?" So it's not, um, I think, the "Once Upon a Time in Crochet" was my idea, and then some of them are somebody else's idea, and the question is then whether whether it kind of fits with your whole sort of theme of you know or your own sort of signature style or whatever or can you make them in your style and and you know do it that way so you know it's just a case of sitting down really and thinking well what can be transposed into knitting and crochet because sometimes you have really good ideas but then to actually then create that shape isn't as simple or it doesn't look as great at the end of the, at the end of the process so you know you can sometimes get to the end of the process and think actually no that that's not really that good in fact in I'd probably say in most of the books there is perhaps one project that I kind of would like to do again but you know it's such a tight time scale and you don't have time to do that. You know, everything is kind of quite set out, and and there are deadlines that have to be met no matter what because they've got all the photography booked in, and there's the, you know, there's a whole kind of stage of, of book publication Mm. that you're not allowed to get behind schedule so it's just sometimes you just have to think oh I'd like to do it again but I can't Um, Mm. and that's how it is really but yeah just get ideas from everywhere really it can be the colour of the yarn it can be um, a picture a birthday card I I do collect birthday cards because I have some lovely friends who send me really nice cards of lovely um, painted scenes or Quite colourful um, images, and you know, you think they look nice. Colors I could use those in a in a project. So yeah, just get get inspiration from everywhere really.
0: Do you ha- find that you have um, projects that have to run at the same time and have to be designing different things for different places all at the same time? <laughs> yes. Oh gosh, I don't
1: know how you do that? <laughs> I try. I try really hard. I try so hard not to, you know, get myself in a pickle with lots of deadlines, but somehow, you know, it it does happen quite a lot. Um, And sometimes I might get asked to do a design and I don't want to say no because I love that company or, you know, I want to be in that publication. So then I have to think, well, how can I do this and so there is um, a way that I do that with, um, I have a couple of knitters who kindly, you know, knit for me. I pay them and they'll knit the sample. So I'll design everything up and then I'll send them my little swatches and all that kind of thing, send them the yarn and then they knit it up. And then I can ma- I manage to do what I wanted to do, be in that publication, but I haven't necessarily done all the work myself
0: oh well, that's so, quite reassuring got, there's a way around it
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean not always mainly do everything myself because obviously you've then got to pay the sample knitter out of the commission fee so sometimes you're kind of almost doing it not you know you don't actually create a great income stream that way because it, it doesn't work out like that but but it gets you into the you know keeps your samples and your designs out there so it's a really good way to to do things
0: if you if you really want to and you don't have the time perfect now i believe you run a course to actually help prospective crochet and knitting designers with pattern writing itself so you're passing on your expertise that you've you've learned along the along the way Yes, at the moment I
1: have a mentoring course. Um, It's kind of just coming to the end now. It's been running for about six or seven months um, and I've just got a small group of knit and crochet designers. Some are really new and some are already along their journey, but maybe they were just a little bit stuck about how to get their designs published and who do they contact. how all the processes work in the knitting and crochet industry. So when a magazine is published, what are all the steps and where do they need to, you know, fit into that process? And so it's just sharing all my knowledge from the past sort of 13 years, which is a long time of working in, in the industry. So, you know, I think it's been really helpful and really valuable to them because what I've been seeing throughout the six or seven months with the lovely people that are on the course is that they've been starting to get designs accepted after they've, you know, followed the guidance on how to do a really good magazine submission because how do you get your design um, proposal to stand out, you know, against all of the proposals that they're going to get? Because when a magazine puts a call out for submissions, lots of designers are going to you know, send their designs in. So it's kind of looking at it from all the different angles and just sharing as much information as I can. So the course is like a series of modules. So every module has um, a podcast, an audio podcast, and written notes so you can either listen or you can read or you could do both if you wanted to there's some little exercises and then we have like a live session every month so people can then ask questions and we could chat about specific issues and sometimes invite other designers and you know other people on to chat as well so they can ask magazine editors and other designers the same sort of questions so yeah it's exciting so I'm just about to kind of go through the whole uh, the whole thing from start to finish and check it all through before I launch it again and you know try and help some more
0: people. That's wonderful I mean you're giving people access to this amazing information that you've had to learn the hard way Um, yeah yeah I I think
1: you know when you when you have to learn things yourself you can kind of make mistakes and it sets you off on the wrong path and then it takes such a long time then because you have to come back and then you have to try another path and that might not be the right thing to do either so hopefully what I'm doing is I'm helping people to get to where they want to go much more quickly than if they
0: were trying to do it themselves wonderful so um what else do you have in in the pipeline aside from what you've told me already I can't imagine there are enough hours in the day to even do that but I've got to
1: ask yeah I mean at the moment I decided last year that I needed to just slow slow down a little bit this year in terms of the work that I'm taking on so I had to pass quite a lot of my workload on to other tech editors and um, just to give me the space to finalise this mentoring course and I've also got um, a crochet tech editing course where I teach people how to tech edit crochet and I really want to review that and get that out again and maybe write a knitting one but I don't know if I'd be able to do that this year so with with my two days taken up for the magazine editing work I only really have like three days to do everything else in so I'm just (laughs) trying to juggle everything at the moment and just really trying hard to take my own advice that I give to everyone in the mentoring course and not to keep saying yes, and to say no, because saying no is actually quite hard. It's a hard thing to do when you're self-employed, because you automatically think that when you say no, that that's it. The person may never ask you again, and they'll go to someone else, and then that will be it. But it's not usually the case, and there are different ways to say no. You know, you can Absolutely. say just not at the moment, but. Maybe in the future, and so that's
0: what I'm trying to do at the minute. Yes, I've worked as a freelancer in the past, and I I I know that when you end up, you're working seven days a week, and then you're still being offered more work, and it's like there aren't enough hours in the day. But I'm frightened to say no. That's uh I think that's something that a lot of people suffer from.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know, especially when you're starting out in business. You you do, you automatically think that saying no means that work will be gone forever. But I always say with knitting and crochet, designing, if you think about how many magazines there are and how many books there are, a, f- a handful of people couldn't possibly produce all of that work. There's work for everyone and it, and they'll always come back to you because somebody's always on holiday, somebody, you know, is often poorly and can't do what they were meant to do so they'll always need a huge sort of pool of knit and crochet designers and tech editors you know just to keep everything going really there's so much stuff out there with knitting and crochet it's so popular at the moment that it's really quite a growing industry so they're going to need more designers and tech editors and you know everything else there's so many jobs within the knitting and crochet industry. You know, when you think about things like illustrations in books and knitting and crochet charts, they need people always to make those, um, you know, things. So people always ask me, do you know anyone
0: who does this? Do you know anybody who does that? So it's such a huge world. Gosh. From the outside, you wouldn't necessarily know that, though. It's only once you're actually within the industry itself. What kind of advice would you have then for somebody who's maybe thinking about, you know, they, they, they've got their hobby of knitting or crochet and they think they might like to try and take it a step further and, and do something in a professional field with it? What, what, what advice would you have for them?
1: Well, what I always say is, well, have a think about the skills that you have because a lot of people think, well, I don't have the skills, you know, it's a hobby. But really a lot of the skills that I use, I've transferred those from my previous employment. So with designing and tech editing, it's a lot of maths, it's a lot of spreadsheets, you know, it's it that that's the kind of world that it is. So as a scientist, or you know, if people are data driven, then they're going to be absolutely perfect. They'll have all of those skills. If you um are good at writing or, you know, setting things out on paper, like a or graphic design or that kind of thing, then you're going to have loads of skills. So I just say think about all of the skills that you that you've got and then that's your starting point. It's always good to have somewhere for people to go and have a look at what you've made. Or, you know, if you're thinking of designing but you haven't designed yet, you can still show people your knitting and crochet. You you could still have like a signature style almost in the colours that you use. So create like a nice area, whether it's on Pinterest or Instagram or on a blog or a website. And I always say you don't need a huge amount of investment either for a knitting and crochet business because lots of things are just free now you can have a free blog you can have free websites i know they don't give you as much um as a paid for but it's enough to get you going and as as long as you can just get going then you can creep and go You know, you can use all the freebies and all the free things. And then as you start to release a pattern and then people start to buy it, you then starting to build your income and then you can, you know, start to sort of grow. And I mean, I, I lived off the free stuff until probably three or four years ago. I only started to actually buy computer packages and that kind of thing. So it can be done. Um, you don't have to have, like, a huge investment for knitting and crochet, which I just really like that because it's what's in your head. Mm. And then, you know, obviously you're going to need something to type your patterns onto, but, you know, you can do that on laptop. you can do it on iPads, you can kind of do it on lots of things now, can't we? are all electronically driven, aren't we, these Absolutely. days? So it's very different... So when I started out, and you know, it was just all sort of computers. We didn't have iPads and all that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. So, yeah, just get yourself like a corner of the world. Find your signature style and what makes you creative. And, you know, it's easy to look at everyone else and think, oh, they're better than me, they do amazing things. But if you just kind of focus on your own path and what you want to achieve and try not to kind of get distracted by everybody else and what they're doing, then, you know, it's much
0: better that way. Oh, Lynn, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and and your story. It's been absolutely fascinating. You're welcome. I could probably talk all day. what a lovely chat as with all my guests i really enjoyed hearing lynn's story and i hope you did too if you want to find out more about lynn's work you can find all her links in the show notes for this episode Thank you to Lynn for speaking to me for Making Stitches and thank you to you too for listening. Making Stitches is a labour of love which has given me so much enjoyment over the past two years. If you'd like to help me with this project you can support me by buying me a virtual coffee or buying podcast merchandise from my Etsy shop where you can also find some of my Amigurumi crochet patterns for sale. Alternatively, I'd love it if you'd leave a review or rating on your podcast app of choice and spread the word amongst your craft loving friends that's all for this episode i'll be back again in two weeks time with another inspiring maker story for you and this one's going to be a little bit different i'm taking you out on the road to a fabulous place where historical fabric conservation happens until next time thanks again for listening do take care and enjoy your crafting